Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Former professional freestyle skier turned content creator, also known as Australian King of Cannabis, Will, Will Stolk. Welcome to the sticker. Thank you very much. Mate, I'm stoked. I was listening to a couple of podcasts that you've been improving. Man, you're an interesting dude, brother. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are, I just kind of dabble in a few different, you know, but two different things. You've done so many, di- uh, such diversity of things in your life. You've well travelled. Mate, tell us a bit about your upbringing. So I grew up on the Northern Beaches in Sydney. Um, my parents were like super into... Like, they were running these quite famous Mexican restaurants. They opened their first one in 1988, I think it was. I was, I was when I was, like, one. Long, fucking complicated story. Um, Mexican back then wasn't popular. Yeah. So for the first two weeks that they were open, they door-knocked from Narrabeen to Avalon, offering people their first meal for free. And it was – we won Best Mexican in Australia a bunch of times, and it was pretty fucking iconic spot, yeah. right? And then when I was about 10, my grandmother died under scrupulous circumstances and she actually, she had a heart murmur and she had to take these pills to slow down her heart rate. And the pill that she took, she was meant to cut it in half and she took the whole pill and she died. And this is, you can look this up, it's actually quite a freak story. A day and a bit later, when they do the coroner's report, the cops went in to take her rings off her in the morgue and she sat up. And she wasn't, mortis, was it? She, wasn't, no, she wasn't dead. Wow. So her heart rate was so low that it couldn't pick it up on the heart monitor, right? Yeah. And so then this, <laughs> the fucking, cop the out. cop had to, the cop, the female cop, from what I got told, I was like a little kid, had to take three months off because she was so <laughs> fucking mortified, right? Anyway, so my dad had this full mental fucking breakdown. They were going to do a big deal with CCs, similar to what old El Paso in the corn did bef- before yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were going to do salsa for Weight Watchers and they were on the brink of doing all this bullshit and my dad was working fucking crazy hard and just, you know, burning the candles at both ends as he, as, you know, as he does or as people do. And then he had this full epiphany and we ended up moving to Switzerland because he, mo- he used to live there in the 70s. Um, he's, like a, he's like a national champion water skier and then he started getting into snow skiing. And he met a dude in 1976 pulling T-bars in Smiggins. He was a James Bond stuntman. And he was in all, he was in Her Majesty's Secret imagine that Service. Though. Imagine that, just that, that, that interaction. The 70s was fucking sick, man. That yeah. place, the Northern Beaches was popping. My dad was homies with Michael Hutchins and all, like the Eagles guy used to live there. And like, there was a lot of bohemian shit. My dad's mate, who was a big weed dealer, he had a fucking, he used to bring all the tie stick in and all the hash. And Bruce he, Cornwell, was his name Snapper? No, I wouldn't tell you nah, his name. I wouldn't incriminate him. Nah, but anyway, so th- this dude, he used to, um, he's like quite a famous Northern Beaches character. And he had a double-decker bus. And he used to travel around Australia showcasing surf movies that he made, yeah. that other people made on a big projector and then have it on the, and that's how he used to run all his drugs around. Let's just talk about Northern Beaches. I think of the Royal Antler. 
And Midnight Oil talked about a pub that was over there in the Northern Beaches. Really, that's before my time. I'm but, the, uh, the more so the Rock Lily in mm, Mona Vale because it's mm. kind of but, Mona, but Sydney's so segregated. Like there's so many little microcosmoses. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like just I was a bank robber. But you're talking my areas. They were all my because all them banks over there had more money in them than the banks in the Western suburbs. So, so all the banks I robbed were on from North pretty, Sydney to Hornsby gangster. and. And apparently I'm accused of one at Brookvale, but I know nothing about it. Know nothing about it. <laughs> How did you get into that? That's an interesting uh, profession. I like you know, it. Just, oh, just my idols growing up in Mount Druitt were bank robbers. So I just thought, so fuck, I wanted to give that a that's cut. So sorry, mate. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no, that's fantastic. Because one of my favorite movies is Two Hands. and then Love Two Hands. And he Brian has Brown. to... Brian Brown, oh my god, bro! That's what an iconic movie, bro. That's an amazing movie, yeah. and that's like it's like but one you of know the... what they do. They go out the western suburbs and rob the Commonwealth Bank at Rudy Hill. Yeah, my yeah, mate yeah. actually got pinched for robbing the Commonwealth Bank at Rudy Hill, so I really? sort of resonated with. So he me. wasn't that good of a criminal because <laughs> no, he got caught. caught. No, I'll just tell you a little story. He worked for St Mary's Tire Service. He robbed the bank and he had St Mary's Tire Service shirt on with his name Reg. <laughs> Reg Austin. <laughs> if you're still alive, Reg, much love to you, brother. <laughs> That's so fucking hilarious. But, mate, you, you mentioned the word bohemian, and it was, man, I, I, I can remember my first time going over to, to uh, Newport Arms Hotel Yeah, yeah, yeah. as there a kid, was, there 17. Was, there was one of the heaviest motherfuckers in Sydney. His name was, do you know who Tim Bristow was? Yeah, yeah, the Tim private Bristow detective. Tim yeah. was, no, no, before that, Tim yeah. Bristow used to play for New South Wales for rugby, yeah. and he was the fucking hitman for a lot of gnarly gnarly people yeah. and he and people used to come to the Newport Arms and fight him because he was so well renowned yeah yeah and he had a boat he had two houses right he used to come into my parents restaurant and my dad used to drink Jack Daniels with him at Lucky and Peps in Newport mm. which is this like oh, it's open until like four o'clock in the morning because when I grew up we had my parents had restaurants so we'd go out for dinner we'd go out for dinner with them on a late night on a, at, at midnight and we'd like watch stuff you know like it's that's Hospitality lifestyle is a little bit of a different. It is. And, it's know, a different world. Isn't Kelly it? Slater used to come into my parents' restaurant, and Leighton Hewitt, and like all sorts of fucking random motherfucking people. So it was like a very iconic place to grow up. But who were your who were your role models growing up? Who did you sort of aspire um, to be like? Oh, Richard Branson. <laughs> and um, I had a f one of my dad's mates that I went and stayed with when I was like ten. He used to own Timberland Europe. And it was in the clothing brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he imported it to from. He, he was the first dude to set it up in Europe, and then he sold it back to him. And he worked for him for like probably like ten years. And he ran. He was the boss of Timberland Spain, and he was the boss of Timberland France. So pretty highfalutin dude. He started with ski shops. He used to live in the in the seventies with my old man's mate, and um, he ended up being Richard Branson's um, financial advisor. So I, I got to, you know, he's an interesting character. I read his book, Losing My Virginity. What a great read. Yeah, fantastic read. Who else? Um, probably like um, Kent Kreitler and Who's Seth Ken Morrison. Kreitler? They're like pro skiers. Um, and then, oh, who the fuck else? But in Europe, skiing, like skiing Skiing's is like massive, isn't it? It's like. Yeah, Totally. Like they're, they're, everyone, uh, you, you, people over there are synonymous. That people well, because know. the valleys, are the, the population of the people live up in the mountains. You know, yeah, like there's yeah. a, there's little cultures of it. You know, like in in Switzerland, there's five national languages. There's Swiss French, je parle très bien français, je grandis en France. Oh, so that's so Swiss German, Swiss Italian, yeah. and there's another. It's only four languages. There's another one called Swiss Romand, 
and there's only 23,000 people that speak this language in this certain little fucking... And they speak all five. They, they, no, that, they probably speak Swiss German and Swiss Romand. Yeah. But their little language is in this one town in the middle of this fucking mountain in the middle of nowhere. And that's existed in Europe for like... That's romantic. Fucking thout. It's not, a, it's not a very nice language. But it's romantic, really. When I think anything, I think... Any sort of any any language except for English is fucking romantic. I got a mate of mine, Bruce Snapper Cornwell, who's the biggest hash importer. He got pinched for sixteen ton. Tried to sell it for personal use, but unfortunately got found guilty. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a big hash. Yeah, big, habit. That's a big smoke. So did he work with Howard Marks at all? Oh, he him and a bloke called Ian Saxon. I've heard that name before. Ian Saxon was a rock and roll promoter. He got pinched for ten oh, million in his garage at Coogee. Really? What yeah, a gangster. He, he, he is this guy out. still around? Yeah, he's in New Zealand. Ian, he, Ian's a big fan of what I do. I know, I know he listens. I love you, brother. Um, I was going to honour you. Um, Ian brought out Billy Idol, Bon Jovi. He was a, he, Him and... Uh, what a gangster. Uh, Michael was so a, easy. Yeah, he was, just, he was just the most fascinating man I'd come across in jail. And he was, oh man, I could listen to him all day. And I, and, and you know what? So he did, did he do blue collar crime? Is that what he did? No, he it was an importer. Oh, I was an importer. Okay. He got pinched for fifteen ton of hash. He's another one who tried to say he was fucking Rastafarian, but it didn't work. Delusional much? <laughs> but um, <laughs> man, pretty gangster though. Let's talk about how did you get into snow skiing? So what happened to my grandmother? Then my dad, and then we ended up moving to Switzerland for six months after he had this like you know, like kind of epiphany, mental, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, life short. So he had three restaurants. He got someone else to run them for him. And he came back to Australia probably maybe four times over the four few months that we were there, maybe five months we were there. And um, I just basically just went skiing. And I didn't go to school for five months. And my dad took me skiing on the first powder day. I'd probably been a few different times, maybe 10 times before that. And he just didn't wait for me. He just left me there. And I was like nine. He just Deep left end. me. Off you go. He just totally left me there. And I just didn't give a fuck. And he's like, don't go here and here. Like that's like avalanche danger places. And just. Fucking learn. And then my fam, my, my, the rest of my family came over. My two little brothers, my sister and my mom. And, um, and then we just fucking became a shred family. And then after that, we lived there for like three or four years. And then we moved to Where Canada. Where was that, Switzerland? Is that your Verbier in Switzerland. Yeah. It's like, and how did you go with the language in that at such a young I age? I never that, – that, that's a, like an international resort. It's like living in Whistler. It's like everybody speaks English. Yeah. Like they don't – they speak French in a couple of the French shops. But yeah. in general, it's more of an English-speaking resort than mm. – it's all expats and shit like that. But it's the, it's the freeride capital of Europe along with Chamonix. What's Chamonix? Chamonix? Chamonix is the gnarliest place on planet Earth. Is it? Well, tell yeah. me about Chamonix. What, Chamonix, what makes it the Chamonix is um, at the heart of the Alps, and on the backside is the Mont Blanc Massif that goes down into Italy. Yeah, and it's the highest mountain in Europe. It's four thousand eight hundred and ten meters, I think. Wow! And it's kind of like that's the at home. altitude. Uh, that that that's at altitude, yeah. Yeah, and there's probably maybe fifteen ski resorts in the whole valley. The best skiing in the world, you reckon? When there's snow, it's yeah. definitely as good as it gets. Yeah. So you, it's pretty hard to. Me personally, I like Russia the most because there's not that many people. But if you want sheer mass and access of of lifts, it's it, there's lifts that go up and there's play. There's the Guida Midi is built into a rock spire, and then it, it looks like a James Bond villain headquarters. And you come mm. into the rock, and then there's a fucking you go across this huge bridge, and then there's like a fucking 300 belay into this cool other people ski, and you go into the next rock spire, and they built the fucking 
They've built when the, you say the rock spire, can you explain what a rock spire is? A rock spire, like spire. the end of the rocks of the so, of the side of the mountain. There's like a cave it's drilled. There's like a huge. They've dug it out, and the lift goes there, and then there's a bridge, and then there's another lift that goes right through the rock. And if you want to go down to the fucking Valley Blanche, you have to walk through this ice cave that they carve out, Fuck. and you have to have a you have to have Thank a transceiver, a, a probe, a shovel, and and uh, and uh, safety. Um, a harness on. Yeah. For safety, right? That's diehard shit. Yeah, but it's like just normal there. It's not, it's just normal. And in, in like America, if you, you know, there was a huge thing in the 80s of like people suing ski resorts and then in the 90s. And that's why they banned doing inverted airs on snow. And I want to talk about these sorts of things. Like I've got a mate called Magic, Magic Matt Cole. He's a... He was a freestyle motocross rider. and um, Cole, I know who that is. Yeah, he's from Newcastle. My parents used to own Fusion. Yeah. Remember Fusion, the oh. car audio brand with the aliens? We sponsored the Krusty Tour and we, Robbie yeah. Madison's one of my very good friends. Yeah, well, Robbie Madison yeah. and him, so it's six degrees of separation here. So big, I know Matt and his missus Mel are oh, big fans of the show. That. I remember that guy, actually. But he was talking about, I want to talk about these freestyle jumps. Because motocross riding and freestyle skiing are the same thing in my eyes. That take, you've got yeah, to have the well, balls of a mountain big, goat Big mountain skiing, definitely, because you're skiing on... You're like free riding. So you're in the mountains, you're skiing powder, you're like going down big rock faces and like you're not – it's not like a park is built, is pre-built. Mm. So you're just hitting the same jump over and over. So you mm. can get good at that. Like when you ski, when like say you're filming and you're filming when you're heli skiing, you're like back in the day you'd take like a Polaroid photo of it and then you'd like look at it and you'd like – you have to like – Pick your line choice, like via what from a heli ski? No, no, from the from the because you, you look yeah. at the venue from the top. Yeah. So you're looking up at the venue, you take a photo of it, and then you get helied up to the top of it, and you got to ski it right. And you you've never you skied it. Out of you've a never, basically, yeah. And so you never skied it before, and you don't know. So you take the helicopter, you take the Polaroid photo, and then you you pick your landmarks and you try to ski the line in order to be able to follow the landmarks, so you kind of know have a sense of direction of where you're going. It's That's very fucking hairy, man. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Like that cliff could be. But you're not guaranteed it won't avalanche on your. Tour. No, no, no. Of course not. But you try to manage your your slough. Mm. So like where water flows is where snow's going to go. Mm. So there's terrain traps, mm. and there's like so you'll ski the spine, and then you might do a turn there to like let that slide, and then you'll come. You know what I mean? You'll manage your slough, man. Like as so you're doing it. What's the biggest it. height you've skied down from? Probably the um oh probably the top of the Aguilera. It's like four thousand eight hundred and something. 4K. Yeah, so top of Mont Blanc's 4.8. 4, 4,000, nearly 5, five kilometres down. But it's, down. A fun, it's, a, it's a very How long would that take you to get down from top to bottom? The longest ski run in the world is the Valley Blanche, and that's in Chamonix. That's the one I was talking about where you come mm. out of the ice cave. That's 15 kilometres long. Wow. But that's like – but the, the access on – you'd have to look at a photo to understand how gnarly it's – What's it's, the best we got here in Australia? That's the longest mm -hmm. run. Oh, not much. Um, <laughs> probably Fredbow, top to bottom. How long is that? 7.2, I think. Yeah? Wow. But that's like... Did you do... Any, like, were you doing any of the jumps and everything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Now, tell me, what was the... What's the and I think I heard on your previous... You'd done one at 74. Is that right? About something like that, yeah. What's that feel that's, like? What's going, what's going for your head? It feels so sick. Like, it feels like... Especially when you're going really fast. And at what like, speed were you hitting it at? Oh, it's a hard question, maybe 50. 
Maybe 45Ks an hour. 45Ks an hour and hitting 70 Yeah, because you go on, the, the downhills are going, you've gone pretty, you've gone reasonably fast. Depends on the, dep- it's like so subjective. It's a very difficult yeah, yeah, okay. answer, you know what I mean? Like it's never the same. So, but um, when you drop, when you do stomp a crazy line and you, you just go, boom, boom, boom. I love, I love this your stomach, I love your stomach that goes into, your balls yeah. go into your stomach. And like, if you ride out, like the feeling is like, it's yeah, so, it's astronomically rewarding, and especially if you get it on film, um, it's pretty, it's a pretty rad feeling to be honest. It's very addictive, and that was kind of what I was into. I wasn't really into competitions, or I didn't give a fuck about skiing. But I like shooting photos, getting magazines because of the attention, and then I also like shooting video as well because it's like, because you like it's a it's almost like an artwork because you got to mo- you got to kind of tell the photographer where you're going to go, what you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. So there's like a process to it. And um, I, I, I dig that. the creativity of it. Um, and I dig the um, the like tribal, the kind of like the coming of a couple of people together to create something. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like to a, to create a moment or a magazine cover or it's like a little bit of a co- collaboration there to be able to get the final result. Especially How does if you it feel when it jump. comes off, but you know it's... Oh, it's fucking very rewarding. It's cool, but then you get addicted to it. Yeah. It's called clip high. What's you get called? a clip high because yeah. you get addicted to the clip. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's how you get broken off, and you fucking you're doing crazy shit. You're gonna get broken off. You know, I've broken my back twice. I've blown my knee out almost two and a half times, um, which is pretty fucked. You I sound like a bull rider. Bull riders are gnarly. They're so gnarly, bro. Oh, they? Holy shit, those gnarly guys, bro. Yeah. Hey, um, I met a few of them in Vegas that were like the world championships through Monster a long time ago. Bob James was talking about, I read his book and he was talking about, you know, being a bouncer from all those years. And they asked in the book, the questions asked, who was the toughest? And he goes, he was working up at Townsville and the bull riders come in. And he said, every so-called tough guy stopped being tough that night while the bull riders were in town. He said, because they're, hard, they're just hardcore human beings. Yeah, they're hard, I, I man. Look they're at that. gnarly. They're gnarly. That's like an extreme sport, man. Oh, it is extreme. That's heavy as fuck. Like, those guys are ballsy. I don't like the repetitiveness. Well, actually, no, because it is always going to... But you're it's, just trying you know, to break. You're just trying to beat something all the time. You're trying to break the spirit of a bull. When you talk the word gnarly, I look at big wave riders. Yeah, yeah, like Ross Clark Jones. He's Ross a, Clark Jones. He's a heavy motherfucker. Even, you know, even Kobe Abbott. And he, like, oh, he, Kobe's a, a gnarly dude, too. Yeah, Kobe... But they're hellmen. Yeah. They're like. And I've got to throw in a good mate of mine, Wayne Cleveland. Um, Don't know who that is. Yeah, he's a Marubra boy that fucking. Did. There's a lot of good surfers. I'll tell you, it's funny with Wayne. Is this type of like we'll be locked in for an appointment, important meeting. We're trying to knock seven over, and the meeting gets cancelled. Ask me, brother, it's going off in Margaret River. Got to go, brah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's gone. He could. The most important thing at the time is not the meeting. Is that and that's what I love about surfers and and I have I'm sure the skiing the skiing yeah, no, no, that was my life for a long time and that's all I really gave a fuck about. Um, it's an interesting way to grow up because you kind of got Peter Pan syndrome because you kind of got like um, your Batman life and then you got your your Bruce Wayne life at home. Because most of my friends here they don't ski they don't they got no idea what that's I do big. most of the what I used to do most of the year so mm. it was like it was two totally different social. Let's let's talk about social fucking. Con- but you you made a lot of magazines. You were in a lot of magazines. What were the magazines you made? Like, I, I believe that you were on shelf with GQ and you were involved. No, no, with- I started a men's magazine. I used to run a men's mag with a mate of mine um, uh, called Apollo. Yeah. And we went to um, the Playboy Mansion. One of my ex-girlfriends oh. was a 
famous porn star and she got me tickets Love for my birthday. Work. And I took my doctor mate that I met through, do you remember the book, The Game? The um, Neil Strauss book? No, Neil Strauss. So Neil Strauss wrote this book about his, was his process from becoming a dork to, he wrote, he wrote, um, how to Fuck Like a Porn Star, which is Jenna Jameson's autobiography. He wrote The Dirt, which was Motley Crue. Anyways, he wrote this book Anthony about how Kittis to pick up Anthony is my favourite book I've ever read. I, I read that book four times. So I, was, I, was having, I, was, I, had, I was having a relationship with an education <laughs> officer in prison. Um, and uh, she came in with the book and she said, you've got to read this, you know. And um, I read that book and I was just blown. I was sort of... It's a very bank robbery type lifestyle as it yeah. was. It was like as much money as you wanted many girls as you wanted and as much drugs as you wanted until you got but we hit jail they hit rehab how'd you do your first like robbery how did it that rob they the uh commonwealth bank at gordon and uh and was this in like the 80s 1990 i remember it was in it was in june 1990 and uh, i rocked in with a knife and uh the knife cost me four dollars from salvation army yeah. And it's a better return than fucking crypto, let me tell you, because for $4, I got a $17,000 investment. And um, So they, they took you seriously just with the knife? Yeah, without... No and, need. And, I, how, I, and how long did it become before it was like... what? So I, was, I teed off again three days later. Was it like, uh, the, you know, like the scene in um, Two Hands? Like yeah, very similar. He, but with me, I was never... I never pointed guns at people. I never... I didn't yell and scream or anything like that. So... Um, but it was quite a culture of people doing this. Man, like we before. were rock stars, man. We were rock stars, us bank pretty, robbers back that's then. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, mate. Tell, let's talk about let's talk about the magazine and how how you got into the magazine. And so that so we went to the Playboy Mansion and my mate wrote an article for remember Ralph. Yeah. So they wrote a four sort of page, jail porn. Ralph. They, they, that was more zoo. Yeah. But they they basically they published a four page. Um, story about us going to the Playboy Mansion, right? And then they offered my friend this, like, column as a doctor. And he's like, I can't do it because it's against my medical practitioner's license. I mm. have to be anonymous, yada, yada, mm. yada. So I was like, why don't we start our own... And then he's like, why don't we start our own magazine? So we started this magazine between my photographer mate and my friend, and we did it for, like, probably, like, two years. We got to about 10, 15,000 issues in most... But we did it at the end of print. It was a horrible idea. But it was fucking amazing. I got to interview Snoop Dogg. I interviewed the yeah. Mythbusters guys. I got to interview fucking the dude from the Gorillas. I got to interview like all these really strange, eclectic people that I really wanted to just have a yarn with. And um, and it you know it was pretty. It was an interesting time. Got to go to the Arias a few times. That was pretty funny. I fell asleep. I had I had the launch party for my um my old brand Balling on a Budget at the Art House. I had like a uh, Halloween sexy and scariest lingerie competition. My and, girl would win that. And I ended up going to the um, to the Arias after and had a long. Had was been drinking for like t- <laughs> over twenty four hours. Anyways, I went on this crazy journey and met John Butler and sold him hash and did all, all this crazy random shit. Um, that's too long yeah, to met explain. Some cool people, but bro. I ended up falling asleep in the cupboard at the opera house in the top of the thing, right? And I don't know how I got there, but I found, and so about an hour later, the fucking cook comes and opens the door and I'm in my suit 
and I wake and she's so startled. She wakes me up. She's like, oh my God. And, and then she, I like get my second wind and I, and I, cause I've been, I haven't slept in like a long time and I didn't really do any, I didn't do cocaine at that point. Um, to keep me awake. And then I was like, oh, then I went back and ended up finishing the night out. That was pretty random fucking. That poor. That's, that, that is rock star. That that's, poor woman. Imagine. You know that is? That reminds, that's sort of, when you picture that, that's real Keith Richards. That sounds like something oh, Keith Richards would have done. A bit of a fucking lunatic. I've stopped drinking like that though. <laughs> I, was, I was like three fisting beers. I like stole Bob Catter's hat. You know, he's a country oh, singer. He's a fucking I man. grabbed his fucking hat and put up. He would not like that. Nah, he was he was pretty cool. He was, was he? pretty nice to me actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty random. It was a funny um, funny interaction. But yeah, you definitely get to meet a lot of cool people. But I miss I miss skiing because I miss I miss the camaraderie with my friends and I miss. I definitely miss the adrenaline because of it. There has to be something like a bond. Like similar no, to adrenaline you get to robbing a bank probably. Oh, 110%. Like, just the state of flow. That is. It is. It's that. And it doesn't matter what you do. Just, if you An extreme situation will put you into the state of flow and then you'll perform at an optimum level. And it's entwined in danger. Yeah, yeah. It's entwined in our DNA it's basically in our it's DNA history that they've just proven is I'm pretty sure that it's possible to yeah, basically yeah. you inherit if you look at your crazy mum and your crazy <laughs> second cousin and your crazy cousin, mm. they've all got similar tendencies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And so it's genetic DNA. It's the same with the fire. We're scared of fire because you know 300 years and years ago, someone touched fire, got burnt. Yeah, we used to get chased by mammoths for adrenaline, adrenaline rushes. Have you ever seen that fucking the thing they do in? Papua New Guinea, where they do the ba- the bungee jumping with the rope. Yeah, how it, good straight into yeah. the dirt. Yeah, that's such a good way to to collapse your spine. Yeah, let's just <laughs> imagine tying that. Ah, uh, uh, no. that's fucking ballsy though. They did it. They did a Who Dares Wins episode there years ago. Yeah. They tried to get the the dude to jump off it. Yeah, and uh, you remember Who Dares Wins? Remember, yeah, I remember Mike, Tanya, Mike Whitney and Tanya Zayeta. That Ooh. one. Ooh. My my mum's best friend used to live with her in Kings Cross and. She's to, she told me some fucking wild stories about that chick. Mate, I, there's always a wild story about Tanya. God bless you, Tanya. Love your work, Dallin. Um, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Don't sue me. I really like, and I think, you know, you, the bohemian lifestyle, it's, it's just, it's part of your DNA, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And it's just the people that I grew up with. Like like I said before, the dude that I told you about that used to tour the surf shows around selling all the hash, he had a pool that was a dollar sign. In the 1970s, it's yeah. like a doll. Literally, the pool was yeah. up in Bilgola, up in the hills. No one. Ha- that's like some Scarface shit. Yeah, Not yeah. that this is just Joe Cocker from the Eagles used to live at fucking Whale mm. Beach and all that. Where Pokies killed Pub Rock. Yeah, a long yeah. time before my turn. I love Whale Beach. Whale Beach is pretty is that, nice. I've never been actually. to Hawaii, but I reckon Hawaii and the Whale Beach would be a lot like each other, wouldn't they? From that, you know, when you look. Hawaii is a bit more tropical. Yeah. Different kind of topography, but I've got, I've got, I'll tell you nice, I've got a little Whale Beach story. That's where I stole a Porsche from. I stole, Whale Beach Road. I stole a 930 twin turbo Porsche. Fucking sick car. And we got chased all the way over, and they tried to open the split bridge at Mossman on us, and we got across it like the Blues Brothers just got across it, and I got over to fucking uh, Cremorne, cool. and they blocked all the roads, and so I went down some little back street. Really? Yeah, That's and then, so cool. But I got sent to jail as a 16-year-old because they wanted to deter us from stealing Porsches, but... um. I always had an affinity <laughs> with those places. I, I always used to think that that was the, How did you guys get there? 
uh, in a stolen hijack. Uh, so you left the shitbox there and left got the Peter Brock Commodore there, traded in on a nine thirty twin turbo. Nine thirty twin turbo, even on today's standards, beat Lamborghinis and that. So let's talk oh. about your business. That's so funny with the pot, man. I, I'm interested in it because it's. Man, we're there now. We're nearly legalised. Hopefully. The, the David Shoebridge from the Greens. Um, Champion bloke. Love you, David. Interesting character. He's trying, he's trying, trying to get him on here. He's trying to put the um, the recreational cannabis bill through. Um, there's a lot of um, positive things with it. I think there's a few things that they're a little bit delusional about. Um, one of them is making all all businesses in Australia have to be domestically produced, Yeah, which we don't have the infrastructure to do. Mm. Like in Germany at the moment, just for medical, they're probably doing twenty percent of the of the turnover mm. of like cannabis, and the rest is imported from Israel, Canada, some Australia, you know, like other countries, mm. yada yada yada. Um, and so, if the recreational market is going to be ten to fifteen times bigger than that, how are you going to fulfil that domestic production? But other than that, it's so a what pretty, are you pushing pre- for? Are you pushing we're for pushing for full recreational legalisation? And what's your interest in pot? Tell me. Um, You've always been a pot. No, I haven't always been. I I remember when I was a little kid, my dad had friends that went to jail for cultivation. Um, My parents had a lot of really eclectic, you know, my dad was friends with Tim Bristow, blah, blah, blah. He had weird weird random Mm. interactions, especially because we got a restaurant. It's like a rock and roll, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people coming in and out. Um, And... uh, so I didn't really smoke weed till I was about probably like 13. I started late. And, yeah, pretty much. And then I moved to, I moved to, I went to summer camp in Whistler and I was on a down day and I went to this other hotel and uh, my, we got an eighth off the block because just, they just sell it openly mm. in Whistler. This is 2002 or something like that. And um, I um, smoked like an eighth through an apple bong. And then my mate. Who when ended you up, say an apple bong, can you explain just, to just the listener? Apple, just an apple. You, you, just ma- you a create fucking, a cone, yeah. You basically create a cone, then you create a little shoddy and a and a little thing, and it's pretty basic. It's just like a can, but it's a lot a bit healthier. Um, <laughs> and then my friend who had these little ratty dreadlocks, <laughs> an apple a day, he ate the apple. <laughs> he ate the apple after we smoked through it all day, and he got so fucking high, and I was just like, all these pro skiers were like. You know they you know they have little they had dreadlocks and they they'd put like you know little cutaways of weed in their edits and you know it just was and also bohemian culture you know like the first time I went to Shamani when I was ten years I old I love that man I'd call my a daughter that your name Shamani no that was the name I wanted to call my daughter it's a great yeah. name isn't it yeah great name so the first time I went to Shamani when I was ten years old the first time I ever saw bohemian culture properly was um, I was ten my dad took me around the world like when I was 10 to like show me around the world and never really traveled that much before that. That was getting, he was organizing the house and shit like that that we were mm. going to move into after his mom died. Mm. And so we went to Singapore and then we went to um, Geneva and we went to Verbia and then my dad goes, we can either go to Rome or we can go to Charmony. So we went to Charmony and we took the, it's the steepest railway, it's the cog railway that goes from Martigny in Switzerland up to Charmony. And we get there and my dad's mate picks us up. He's this famous old... Um, American filmmaker named Gary Bingham and he's one of the most famous people in Chamonix. He's this American expat 
fucking crazy acid taking fucking skier and <laughs> he lunch. made all these all these mm. f- iconic movies in the 80s and he was a filmer for blah 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 but anyways in one of the old mo- the old um, ski movies an old Greg Stump or one of the whatever it was he has this old Ducheveau you know the, the old French What's cars a it's like a little French weird Sounds like a beach sex car toy. right and anyways in the in the movie he cuts off the roof with a chainsaw and I rock up when I'm 10 and homie, it's in the summertime, but he comes and picks us up in the Ducheveau with the roof cut off. Cool car. And then we went and um, went to his house and it was probably one of the most like, like um, impactful moments of my life. And I'm there and the, 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 the other side, there's the Grand Monte and then there's Le Brevent. And he had this house and he was shooting a time-lapse with the, with the 16 millimeter film with his apprentice filmer or whatever of the of the um the storm that was coming in and out like you know like a time lapse mm. and I was like what the fuck I was like weird like these long haired I've never seen anything really like this this culture right mm. and that my dad was so heavily a part of before he had kids and then they smoked a joint in front of me my dad didn't smoke but they smoked a joint I remember it and I remember seeing the sitting on the toilet at the at homie's house and I remember the the fucking the mountain map of Chamonix and I remember that the uh, that the Mount Mont Blanc was four thousand eight hundred and eight meters. I still remember it like so vividly. It was so impactful in my life, and that was kind of like the beginning of the end. Because mm. these guys are so iconic and like they're just adventure man and just like new new pathways and like and they're and, very creative. Those sorts of people aren't they? Their their mind is very very but, open, isn't but, it? Well, it is. But what it is is it's like we were talking about before, like. The Northern Beaches, um, Hawaii, you know, North, North Shore, Hawaii, Whistler, San, you know, Verbier. Mm. These places with this energy, people conjugate together. And so when it's a conjugation of people, you have a different interaction with each other because you're all there for a purpose. Mm. You're not just existing in a city. So you're there to, to do something, whether it's kayak or ski or snowboard or fucking parapont or Whatever but the you fuck do it, it to an extreme measure. 100% because these people are there for a whole season. They've come from all over the world mm. to live in this one little tiny 5,000, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, what, what, what it's is eclectic. It, mate, what do you think it is like, what is it, what is the common denominator of these people that make them extremist in that? They want to push oh, that um, limit. What do you think it is? Oh, but it's the same with the like surfing, like hell man, like the guys that all the But, but just tell me this. Tell me this. What is depends it on what level you're talking about. If you're talking yeah. about like Robbie Madison, like um, you know Kobe Abbotton, like Richie Vasilik. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Mike Mark Matthew. Like these dudes. Yeah. Are, there's a difference. My friend that I run this dispensary with, he was fucking used to do hundred foot airs, going Mac ten, and he had no fucking fear. Just didn't have a concept of fear. Certain people are on that gnarly, gnarly level where they can like live on the precipice of death. Uh, you reckon yeah, they did? Yeah, a hundred percent. But it's just that they can they can get into a state of flow where it's just perfectly. I wouldn't say normal because you're on the the fringe of. You know what I mean? They're no. not. They're scared, but their fight versus flight kicks in, and they're good at managing that. I've done. I can. I've done some crazy shit in my life, but I don't do it all the time. Where mm. there's some guys that chase it, they every day. just fucking. It's just it's just a nah factor in their head. The the fear and the like the um, 
you know, once you get fucked up and you break your back or you break your leg or whatever the fuck it is, you have a little bit of like a, the scaredness, like your hmm. gen- genetic coding that you learn yeah. from like the fire. Yeah. Cause you're like, oh, if I fuck that, it's just a little bit, but, but there's certain people that are just. But they're laying there with a broken back, wait, can't, wait, and can't wait to get back out there again. Of course, 100%. I'm talking about doing crazy shit in perfect conditions mm. as opposed to somebody that just does an 80-foot backflip into fucking chopped out fucking hard pack. Oh, yeah. Like certain people, and there's not many that I know that are on that. They're just on a different – they're just not wired that, that right. What's that that the Uber right, like Ours. Right. Yeah. Um, port um, – what's it called? Port, port Botany, is it? No, no, no. Uh, it's on the end of Port Botany. Yeah. It's um, – Fuck, it's on the tip of my They're all mad about it. Yeah, it's a sick. It was a, it was a body board wave before that. And they could fucking and kill they you. bashed all the body boarders. What do you do? You look at a wave, or even in your case, the jump and you go, if that fucks up, I'm going to die. Oh, but the fuck, jump, I can't wait to do it. Snowboarding is like a little bit different, but like that's a pretty. Cape Salandra, it's called. Who was that? Who was that fucking iconic? Ski jumper in the Olympics, uh, Eddie. What was Eddie he? the Eagle? Eddie the Eagle. That's hilarious. They made a movie about that guy. He was like a he was like a aristocratic guy that got into ski jumping, and that's a totally different kind of skiing that I do. It's like I would say it's kooky skiing because it's high, pretty high level. Fuck those guys know. go like four hundred fucking plus feet. It's cr- with those massive like that's I don't do that. Like that's a totally different sport. That's like comparing like uh, crocheting to I don't know. It's a high-end couture. It just doesn't. Yeah, it's not I, I the same it. kind of thing. People say, "You ever done skydiving?" And I said, "Yeah, I've done skydiving." And I said, "But when you rob a bank, you know, it's a little bit different because you, you could get your head blown off as you come out. When you get when you're fucking skydiving, no one's shooting at you." Yeah, and so, but it, it's similar to going to war. Those SAS dudes, they're fucking. They're Man. the gnarliest humans in the world. I've had some weird interactions with them for sure. They all. Where I used to work in Switzerland, I worked as a bouncer for probably like two months when I was like 19 or something in Switzerland because I, I needed to get a job or something. My parents, blah, Most blah, Most of blah. them do. And um, in, in Verbia, they, for years, they used to have the, the English ski games. Mm. So they'd all come and they'd all do like GS and they'd come to Verbia for like two weeks over Christmas and just get shit-faced. And they're all like a lot of them. There's a big group of them that were like SAS guys. I almost got into a fight with one of them. And then the, my mate that I led into the bounce to the to the Casbah where I used to work, came and saved me. But I met some, I met some crazy dudes, like, um, like I met a gun pilot. There was like a Apache helicopter pilot. Ended up hanging out with him, take gun skiing with him, and having breakfast with him a few times. And but it was just like it was interesting to meet these mm. prospective All different people. Walking life. Yeah, well, there's that, like I said, it, it, it's attracted to a place because there's something there that it's is that unique. Bo- that bo- that bohemian. It is Bohemian, but it's also the it's the location of the in the world. There's some there's a good wave there, or there's amazing mountains, or there's a, a ski resort that's just epic. Like it's just there's a reason that people conjugate. There's a there's a reason people go to Bali. There's a reason you know like that's yeah, and I that, get so that. that that makes this massive melting pot of cultures. Yeah, which like New York is that on crack. But it's a but even New York, New York's one of the only cities in the your, world. Have you spent much yeah, time in New York? Not really. I've spent a lot of time in California. Yeah. I've got a car in California. I've spent heaps of my life in California. <laughs> but New York City, not so much. But you know, people come from all over. Same with kind of Hollywood. Mm. But there's not that many cities in the world where people come from all over the world to live in one little fucking tiny little microcosmos. Shamanese. Shamanese is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would um, highly. It's one of the most beautiful places. We're going. In the world. going. You've yeah, sold it to fantastic. me, buddy. I'm caught, caught up in that. So where are you at with the pot now? Are you 
trying to get like a legal business where you're dispensing it? Well, I actually already have that in California. Like yeah. I own part of a, of a yeah. weed dispensary that I started with a Yossi friend of mine. Mike. So we own this dispensary out in the middle of nowhere. We just started a flower company, which is doing pretty good, called Pheno Hunts. But yeah, I just, I'm into pot. It became a big part of my life when I was a little kid. Like I said, um, you know, the bohemian lifestyle and just my favorite scares were potheads. So I identified <laughs> with it. And it made me something different and like I really liked that I l- learned a lot more about it than all my other friends because I was getting paid to be a pro athlete at 16 and traveling around the world. So I got exposed. I lived in Canada. So I'd go down to Vancouver and go to Doobie Brothers. It's like the first the first cafe in North America where you could go and smoke weed there. And you went up the little alleyway and the, there was a dude selling pot. This is like before – they call Vansterdam, like Vancouver. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's weed's legal there. It's a totally different world. But it's really big in California, isn't it? There's like a lot of dispensaries. Is that true, like milk bars over there? Like- I wouldn't say milk bars, but there's definitely a lot of dispensaries. It depends on the county because in America, there's different laws. There's, in different counties. Yeah, so certain counties won't, won't have any dispensaries because they get to choose federal law supersedes state law. So legally, so the dispensary that we have, like just to give you an example, because it's not federally legalized, mm-hmm. We can't subtract any of our costs from our gross tax report. So you can't claim anything because it's not federally legal and the tender is going through a federal institution that's a bank. Hmm. So you can't – everything has to be cash – at these dispensaries, it can't that be, can't deal. be, can't be, yeah, yeah, but everything's M tracked. So every single item has a, a barcode which is registered with the distributor, which then gives that information to the California Cannabis Control Bureau. Regulated. So doing the, um, doing the due diligence on a dispensary's taxes is a very long affair. Not, I'm not that I, I don't do that. My accountant does that. Um, shout out to Nicole, she's a rock star. But, um, so, there, there's not that much profitability in it. So you can't ship across state lines. And so, and just to give you another example, so when my friend, how long ago? Three and a half, three, three and a half years ago, went to get our cannabis control license, he had to drive from um, Mammoth to Sacramento, which is the capital of California. Mm. That's where Arnie was the, the, the governor. That's where he would have held, held his um, court. And anyway, so he had to go into the um, Cannabis Control Bureau with 55000 in US dollars in cash to pay the state institution the money for the cannabis license because they can't process credit card or bank transfers because that cannabis money – because it's not federally legal, is not allowed to go into the bank. And we've lost eight bank accounts because of it, and you're not allowed to bank the cash. If you bank the cash, they'll oh, close your bank it accounts. It sounds like fucking Queensland. Queensland's the biggest place in Australia for red tape. Mike Tyson's got a he, – he's heavily involved in – Yeah, he's got the Tyson Ranch, but it's, it's just, just more so – that's a little bit of a different because that's not dispensing cannabis. That's like a cannabis resort. That you can smoke cannabis at. They probably there might be a they might be that's in I think it's in Palm Springs actually. Very he's a fucking legend. That oh, he is man. But yeah, he's had a lot of you know he's probably been smoking weed for many years. I just want to touch on that. Yeah, I think Mike Tyson is the healthiest I've ever seen him, and and he and he he attributes it to pot. You know, like he said, it saved my life. His and licking the toad demon. You know, it's, guy's it's, a weapon. Yeah, he's just oh. what he's done, and how well, I can listen to Mike Tyson all day because he's so well read. 
He is quite well read, isn't he? Yeah, he's so well read. Jeff Fennick should do the the, the hot box. He'd be an interesting. Character. Jeff Fennick and I, I you know, did. The, the uh, Mike Tyson on Hotbox recently done RFK and it got banned by YouTube. Yeah, well, I like RFK. I he's, love RFK. He's the, he's he's the future. He's, oh. I hope so. But no, he'll probably get assassinated. They're not going to let him be the Democratic nomination. There's but no he, they're going to fucking CIA. He's calling out the CIA. They're going to knock him first. <laughs> They've knocked half of his family. Oh, the, the, the person that orchestrated it all was a gentleman named Alan Dulles. Yeah. And Alan Dulles was the former um, overlord of the CIA. Mm. And... Uh, he was the guy that helped a lot of the under Operation Paperclip, which was get out a lot of the um, the ex-Nazi rocket scientists mm. and people of prevalence from the Nazi party and, and you know, get them into highfalutin jobs to help mm. progress the American agenda over the fucking Soviets kind of thing and the progression of that. Amazing. Do you like Lex Friedman at all? No, I don't know him, but I'd be you interested. Should, oh, he's the best. He's the best of all of them. Yeah. He's a – he's a um, I think he's a – He's not a, I think he's a um, well. That's a Jewish an name, advanced isn't Advanced engineer of some description, but he used to work at Stanford, and he was the leading professor on AI yeah. and robotics. And he's got a black belt in jujitsu. He plays guitar like a thrash machine, mm. and he's just the most introspective, amazing interviewer that I've ever. He's so poetic, and he's so unbiased in his opinions of how he interacts with people. I, When I get interviewed, I say to them, put on the fucking knuckle dusters, put on the steel cap boots and fucking headbutt me if you've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it because I think transparency creates authenticity. 100%. That's how you become likable or dislikable, but at least you, yeah, whether, people like, whether people like you or not, it's they still care. You're just an interesting dude, man. You're, man, you're like, and you're, you are well read. And I, I, I try to be. I used to read a lot more. I used to read a book probably every I, two weeks. But I think not my dad used to say, my dad used to say, you'll learn more in a year from traveling than you will in 10 years of education. Would you? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that if you're not going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, um, I think the school of life is a lot more fruitful and, um, you know, do as I do. Teachers I teach. But what did you learn in your travels? You like you learn, you would have learned so much about different cultures because you're really well. Yeah, yeah. Can you just name the countries you've been to? Oh, I've been to a lot of different countries. Yeah. Um, not so much third world stuff. Um, it's a lot of places I still want to go. Most of the places I've been um, were like chasing snow. Mm. Um, Russia was pretty cool. Um, my mate, my mates on the, my mates on the run. He can't come back to Australia. Yeah. He was living in Russia. And when the war kicked off, the fucking the gangsters said, "Mate, you got to make a move." And now he doesn't live there. He's somewhere yeah. secretive now. Interesting. Yeah. Moldova, maybe. <laughs> he got trapped in Moldova. Really? That's so funny that he said that. He got trapped. In, <laughs> yeah. Got, so you know the road that I live on, and you know Moldova. Yeah. He, he got trapped in Moldova, yeah. and he was howling. He said because, um, yeah, he said, "Man, I'm trapped." And he had COVID, and he was trapped in. In a, a hotel in Moldova with a mate, and they both had COVID. So it's a lot more um, easy to get done. You know, I had a I've couple. Anyways, I don't want to talk about that. That's a couple <laughs> like, of Interpol stories and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, but but basically, next month we're going to 
Um, we, we got we got arrested for projecting cannabis leaves on the Sydney Opera House. My friend Craze and I, who have been doing this thing, which is called Who Are We Hurting, for the last eight years. I love and it. And each different 420, we've done a different How, but can publicity I just jump in stunt. There? Can yeah. I just jump in there? How can our viewers get behind you and support you with this? Um, well, I've just started a GoFundMe. We've got a pretty interesting argument that we had to notify the attorney generals about, which I'm not going to go into Um description but it's it's pretty interesting it's definitely going to be because what we've been charged on is a bylaw it's a bylaw so that so basically the sydney opera house is basically it's like a sovereign piece of land that's under control from the sydney opera house trust right so the bylaw says that we're charged under displaying or distributing an advertisement on opera house grounds so when i first got arrested we did three different projectors. We did one at um, the International Cruise Terminal, one in the hotel at the the, Pi- the Hyatt, I think yeah. it is, which was quite an expensive room, but we had one there. And then we had another one on the south pylon of the uh, Harbour, Harbour Bridge, Bridge yeah. right? Now, if we just did it on the Harbour Bridge, it would have been a move-along order or a new public nuisance. But because it was on the Opera House, so we did it for like an hour and 10 minutes, I think it was, and then we're sitting in the hotel and we're smoking a joint and the cops came and they saw us and they smelt the weed and they're like, they're, that's them. And then they came and raided our room and shit like that. And they were going to arrest everybody, but my mate and I just got like, we did it. So they locked us up for six hours. I, I signed the bail conditions, but my bail conditions were that I had to get, I had to sign in three times a week at Tweedhead's cop station because I live up there. Yeah. I wasn't allowed within three kilometers of the Sydney CBD. And I wasn't allowed to communicate under the terrorist and bikey laws with my friend that I did the stunt with for over 10 months. Crazy. Just for doing – and we, we didn't we – didn't, um, now, now, we're talking stuff in here. This ain't a sex offence. It ain't a, a crime, no, it's and, not and, a crime and of violence. I would never deface such a beautiful um, architectural piece like the – you know, the iconic... Utsun design. You know, the the Sydney Opera House is an incredible building. Yeah. But I would never... We didn't spray paint on it. We didn't do it. We didn't... Def, all we did was just project our image and our protest, which is really, we're over it. We're, we want full legalisation for cannabis. It's called Who Are We Hurting? A good quote my friend uh, RJ said, he said, I, I've never seen a stoner start a bar fight, but I've seen him start a rock band. <laughs> Love yeah. it. On that note, we're going to finish up. Will Stock, man, it's been a fucking pleasure Thank you having for your you. Time. I appreciate it. Man, I really it. haven't. Man, I could talk Thank to you, you today. Pleasure to meet you.